Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, we have a special episode for you on a special day. Once again, it is Mother's Day. I would say happy Mother's Day, Craig, but you're not a mother. I'm a bad mother. <laughs> you a bad mother. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Well, we do uh, want to say, at least I want to say, uh, Happy Mother's Day to the important and wonderful mothers in my life, the mother of my son, uh, and uh, my own mom, of course, who went through quite a bit to raise me. We just love spending this time today paying tribute to our mothers by <laughs> showing um, motherly figures in horror films. I think last, was it last year or maybe two years ago, we actually did Mother's Day. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. it was a notorious and cheap uh, trauma-produced um, film, but it didn't turn out too bad. This is a modern film from 2013, and it is called Mama, produced by Guillermo del Toro, um, and uh, directed by a guy named Andy Muschietti from a three-minute short uh, yep. that he did that got the um, attention of Guillermo del Toro and said, "Hey, why don't why don't uh, I help you pr- expand this into a larger movie?" Which he did, and this is what we have: Mama. I uh, suggested this PG thirteen film today simply because I was looking at lists of potential films for Mother's Day, and this one came up. But otherwise, I had never seen it before, and I actually hadn't heard it before. How about you, Craig? Oh yeah, I've seen it. In fact, I when you recommended it, I told you that I had just rewatched it a couple of weeks ago mm. randomly because i uh, again as Get always <laughs> <laughs> well no i was just uh going through streaming services looking for something to watch and i was looking mm. at hbo max and uh it was there man you have all the streaming services my man i do i i i'm gonna be in debtor's prison soon, I'm sure. <laughs> they nickel and dime you to death, right? It's like, only five bucks here, only six bucks there. I pretty know, soon you're spending a hundred bucks. Like, why did I cut cable? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I can, I can, I can afford $5 a month. That's less than one meal at McDonald's. But then, yeah, like now I've got like 15 streaming services. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I, I had recently rewatched it, but um, I was glad to watch it again. I've actually uh, been familiar with this for a long time because I was familiar with the original short. I, I've told you before and, and our listeners before that every October I do a horror unit with my um, senior class and uh, I, you know, we read stuff obviously because it's a literature class but the, I take one day when I show them shorts online and, and this is one of the ones that I show them and it's good. It's it's creepy, it's atmospheric, it's recreated almost exactly in this movie. But it is very, very brief, um, and there's no context. It's just a a creepy little, you know, minute and a half or three-minute standalone thing. Um, yeah. but, but it's atmospheric, it, it's atmospheric and it's, it's, it's creepy and, and then they made a whole movie out of it and it's this one and that's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had you do the intro. <laughs> You're so good. I at it. <laughs> I, I'm very eloquent. <laughs> yeah, <I can> tell. <laughs> 
the movie kicks off pretty pretty simply enough. There's a, and actually, I think the whole movie is is very stylistic. It's shot really well. It has very good color dynamics in it. Um, there's a kind of a bleak scene where we just see a car with its door open, um, sitting by the side of a, a house, and uh, we hear over the radio. It sounds like there's been a shooting, and somebody has left the scene of the shooting, and someone is missing. Um, and pretty soon, uh, we see two girls in a bedroom. Uh, one is Victoria, and one is Lily, and they are three and one year old, respectively. Uh, adorable, very so adorable. Cute. Did you? This is the first time. So I listened. I, I watched this with headphones this time around. Mm. Did, did you hear what was going on on the radio? Yeah, I did. I mean, most of it. Yeah, it was. A, they were talking about the shooting, right? Um, yeah, I think this is the first time that I'd ever paid attention to that, but mm. it's important. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. It Well, it's, it definitely sets the context for the scene. The father of these two girls, uh, whose name is Jeff, I believe, comes stumbling in and uh, upstairs and says, girls, we got to go, we got to go. And he just grabs them and leaves. And they ask, where's mommy? Where's mommy? And they say, well, mommy's not, not here. Well, and we had already heard a gunshot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, w- what... What we heard on the radio was that there had been some kind of market crash or something, and uh, some stockbroker or partner in some firm or something had gone nuts and had killed a couple of people in his office. And then as all this progresses, as we're watching it, the dad has the radio on um, and and it's it's him. And and what's happened is that he has apparently gone nuts due to. Yeah. Due to some failure with his business or whatever, he's lost his mind and he's killed his partners and, and apparently he's killed his wife. And now he's driving his girl's. Out. It's weird, right? It's an odd choice. Like, uh, he doesn't just come home and shoot the girls and go. He comes home, shoots his wife, and then grabs the girls, pu- puts them in a car, and takes off down the road. Yeah, down this snowy road, and it's really, you know, it's treacherous, and he's driving too fast, and the little girls are in the back, and the old, the, the younger one is only one. She can't even talk. The, the older one is three, and uh, she's... I just... This is the first time that I was watching this closely. Like, I've seen it more than once, but this is the first time I was watching it closely, and just paying closer attention to it made the tension that much higher, because oh, yeah. the, the, these little girls are scared, and and, and the, the older one is like, Daddy, you're driving too fast, and she says it a couple of times, and at one point her dad turns around and yells at her yeah, shut in up. anger. Yeah, yeah, I mean, very, very angry, and and then he loses control of the car, and they crash, and they're walking through the woods, and they end up finding, you know, this abandoned cabin in the woods, and what really struck me, like, he's clearly lost his mind, and uh, it seems like he's kind of tortured about what his next step is going to be, but it becomes apparent that he's plan- he he's going to kill these girls, and I assume himself. Yeah. But but what really kind of broke my heart about it this time, what made it so sad, and ultimately, like, watching this movie this time, I looked at it kind of as more than just a horror movie. It's really, it, 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 it's kind of, it's tragic. Like, Very there, tragic. there's, there, there's so much tragedy and, and sadness in this movie that I really hadn't 
yeah. paid attention to before. And what really kind of got to me this time, the, the tragedy in this moment is these little girls love their dad. Yeah. And, and trust their dad. The older one who can speak keeps call, you know, every time she talks to him, it's always something, something, daddy, daddy, daddy. Like, you know, like, <sighs> That that that's that's yeah. messed up. It's you messed know, up. They, they 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 love him. They trust him. They have absolutely no idea what's going on. They're terrified, but they trust their dad. Yeah, and you know, it's um, I've said it before, but I do tend to see movies slightly differently, or at least they hit me emotionally a little differently since I have a five-year-old, and I think it's simply because I hear questions very innocent but very important questions from him all the time, you know? Uh, he doesn't understand life yet. He doesn't understand right. relationships and things like that yet. So, you know, for example, when we had the COVID situation going on and we were separated, you know, for nine months, it was, um, he was asking a lot of questions. Oh, you know, why can't daddy be here? Or why can't we just go to China? And, you know, he could accept the answers, but it it's interesting to hear how his mind is working and what answers he needs, you know, and what questions he has and how he perceives things. And I mean, so I, I think in a situation like this, I I was just really breaking for those kids um, being whisked away by their dad uh, in the car, really not knowing what's going on. But, you know, they're appropriately like not freaking out. You know? Right. Older kids would freak out. Right. Younger kids are just confused, but they're used to being confused because mm-hmm. life is confusing for them. So they just kind of go along with it, which is also really sad. And I did not see coming the the fact that he was going to kill them. I I mean, I thought the the, re- the whole reason he didn't shoot them right there in the house like he did his wife is because he had some plan with them. And I think maybe he originally did, but maybe he was thinking twice about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he had a plan, but I don't think that. He, I think he was irrational, but I. I don't think that he had planned to kill them. I think it was a dis, an impetuous decision yeah. he made in a desperate moment. I think you're right, and, and I mean, he certainly didn't plan to go to the cabin. Well, you know, they no, they're crashed. It was in, an accident by the side of the road and stumbled into this place. Yeah, and then it's just an awful scene where he. he is you see what's probably going to happen. She's he's got the gun in his hand. She's like, "What is that, Daddy?" And he just uh, puts his hand on her face, and he's kind of crying. And he turns her around and says, um, "The girls have been saying, by the way, that there's a woman outside, uh-huh. and we have seen like some movement that's a little spooky." And then she turns around and looks outside, and he raises the gun like he's going to shoot her. And before he can, these supernatural arms come out of the sky behind him the the, mm-hmm. the the ceiling grab him and pull him away and the girl turns around and sees this happen but he had told her to take off her glasses she wears glasses mm. and and he had told her to take them off because i don't oh. think that he wanted her to see anything after she took off her glasses that's when he pulled out the gun and she said daddy what is that and he said don't worry about it or something like that I think that he didn't want her to see. Oh, I missed. But that. I also, right. I also think that that this is important because when she, she turns around, this ghostly—I mean, this movie doesn't hide anything. No. It, it is—it's a ghost movie. Yep. Um, or or some sort of supernatural entity. I mean, we find out it's a ghost, but some sort of supernatural entity, and and we see it. You know, right there in the very beginning, it—it's this woman 
ghostly earth tones CGI. The CGI is not bad. Yeah. It, it, it's fine. It. It's okay. I mean, it's obviously CGI, but it's fine. Grabs him, lifts him up, breaks his neck, and she sees all of this, but she sees it out of focus. And for the rest of the movie, which, you know, obviously time passes. We jump to five years later and time passes, but we come back to these girls. Anytime that Mama, the ghost, is around, the girl takes off her glasses I don't know if it's oh, I didn't catch because that. I don't know if it's because that's how Mama is familiar to her. Like she had only ever seen her in soft focus before. But at at another point late in the movie, the the girl is wearing her glasses and Mama takes them mm-hmm. off of her. It's a it's a moment, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like either Mama doesn't want her to see. I I don't know, but I just felt like that. I think it's important as, as the relationship between the two of them, the fact that she only ever sees her in blur, in soft focus. I think that's kind of important because it's almost like a metaphor. Like when, yeah. when she comes back to civilization and she gets glasses again and she can physically see clearly, then she can kind of see things more clearly yeah um and and that that's important as far as their relationship is concerned and it sets up a contrast between her and her younger sister Uh um which is also important to the movie and also a really poignant and nice touch you know these could have been twins they could have been about the same age right but because this girl is so young um they basically end up staying in this cabin for like five years for five years yeah and and there's a little scene where they're sitting by the fire and a little cherry rolls towards them that they pick up and eat that, you know, has obviously been delivered by this supernatural entity. And then five years later, uh, after a credit sequence of kids' drawings, we are... Which which I thought was just fantastic because it tells their story. The, mm-hmm. the, the children's drawings fill in the gap of what's happened in these five years. In these stick figure, basically, drawings, you can see that sometimes the girls were scared, mm-hmm. but sometimes they were happy um, and and playing and doing things. And, you know, there's this mama figure in, in some of the illustrations. Um, and there are, you know, there's there's one illustration where the girls are scared and they're being, like, menaced by wild dogs or something. But then the next picture shows the dogs all bloody and dead and they're happy, you know. Mm-hmm. So this this spirit or whatever it is has been protecting them, caring for them at least enough to keep a three-year-old and a one-year-old alive for five years. I mean, that's 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 a big deal. <laughs> in, in an abandoned cabin out in the middle of the woods. In the woods, which, right? Which, to be fair, uh, seems to be so easy to find. I can't believe nobody's found this before. I know. I know. Kind of silly. Anyway, that's one of the one of the one of the groaners. I think. I mean, I, I really had to suspend my disbelief for a few things. There's a few pothole plot plot holes. Yeah. Yeah, in it, but... Well, I guess, you know, in theory, they had no idea where the dad took them. Mm. In in theory. Yeah, like nobody tracked the car or anything like that, right. presumably. 
But then it, it does, it cuts to five years later, and we find out that uh, the dad's twin brother, Lucas, has been continuing to fund a search for these girls and his brother, I guess, you know, because mm-hmm. they just disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to them. Five years later, he's still paying people to look around. Um, and we just happen to come back to them when these guys that he's paying, you know, these, I don't know, woodsy guys. Bercy. Bercy. Uh, <laughs> they first find the car. Which, again, right, like, you have to suspend your disbelief. Like, wherever this is, it how far could it have gone off the road that somebody wouldn't have found it in five years? Yeah. But whatever. They they first find the car, um, and then they find the cabin. And I really like this scene because they go in there, and, of course, it's all dark, and they're looking around. But you see the girls moving around in the shadows before you know, the, the characters see them and they're feral. And, and I thought that this was played really well. And I don't know how much of it was done with CGI or how much of it was done with the, the child actors, but they, they move around like animals and uh, on all fours. Spooky. It is very spooky. And they're super skinny. Yeah. Super skinny and, and, and very fast and uh, agile and dirty, hairy, yeah. hissing and, and growling. And, you know, I don't know how realistic it is, but it, it look, you know, like it, it's spooky. And, and just the, that idea of feral children is kind of a, a spooky thing. But, of course, they get them and they bring them back and they notify the uncle, Lucas, who has a girlfriend named Annabelle. Yeah, and Annabelle, we're introduced to her sitting on the toilet checking out her pregnancy test and really, <laughs> right. really very happy that she's not pregnant. And I thought, okay. Oh, absolutely, is, 100% relieved. <laughs> they're really setting this up, right? It's a bit on the nose. <laughs> it is. Thank you, God. Sweet. <laughs> hey, gosh, I'm not pregnant. What is wrong with you? Last payment didn't clear. So there's a problem with the bank, or? The money's gone. I pick B. That is the correct answer. Hey, look, babe. It's your brother. You want to spend all your money trying to find him? It's okay with me. It's cheaper than therapy. (laughs) And so am I. And and Annabelle is kind of you know, like a, a rocker girl. Like she's in a band. She's in a rock band. She's got tattoos up and down her arms and jet black hair. And she's played by Jessica Chastain, who is one of the only actors that I recognize. So I apologize if there are other, you know, famous actors in this movie that you like that I don't talk about. Cause she's, she's one of the only ones that I recognize. And she was the first and only choice for this role. She's good. She Jessica is. Chastain is a good actress. She is. And this is, you know, <laughs> it's just a different role than I've ever seen her in, but every mm. role I've seen her in, she's been different. She's versatile. Um, she ended up working with Andrew Machete again um, on the It remake. Yep. Um, she was in It Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 as the older Beverly Marsh. She got a lot of acclaim for playing Tammy Faye Baker in the eyes of Tammy Faye, which I've started watching. Uh, and, and she is quite 
good in that. I, I, I just think that Zero Dark Thirty came out the the year before uh-huh, this. The same I think year she was in, in Interstellar the the next year. Uh, yeah, Crimson Peak. Oh, remember Crimson? Yes. Uh huh. Oh, we like yeah, that. Yeah, she one was too. good in that. Yeah, she's she's a, a a very talented actress, and she's good in this movie. And she plays. I like it when actors can play a character who, on paper, is unlikable. Mm. But you like them anyway, mm-hmm. you know, like on at least in the beginning. And I would say that she has character. She certainly has an arc. She has character development. But on paper, you know, in the beginning, she is thrilled to find out she is not pregnant. And she is not really interested in being a mother or having a family at all. And this is thrust upon her mm-hmm. and she even she even has a conversation with the female lead singer of her band saying you know i didn't even want a family i certainly didn't want a f-ed up family and she's like and i didn't even get to f- them up like they came to me that way <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hilarious i and, and her and her friend is like well leave him mm-hmm. and she's like i can't do that yeah. i I can't do that to him. Like, apparently, she loves him so much and knows how important this is to him that, like it or not, she's in it and and she's going to do it. That's important, right? I mean, it shows that she's not just kind of a self-centered asshole, only out for herself. That's why she doesn't want to be a mom because she doesn't want to have to have any responsibility or, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not saying that's the the reason you don't become a mom. You know what I mean? But I, I'm just saying, right. Like, there's lots of reasons. It, sure. It, it provides the balance, right? Where, oh, okay. Yeah. She's super happy. She doesn't have, she doesn't, she doesn't have kids. She doesn't want these kids. She has the opportunity to go, but she's a nice gal. Uh, and so obviously they're setting this up to put her in the mother role, which she ends up doing. I was just going to mention, by the way, because it means nothing to me, but uh, Nicolaj Coster-Waldo, who played Lucas in this, uh, I've never watched Game of Thrones, but he's Jamie mm. Lannister in Game of Thrones. So that probably means something to the rest Somebody. of the, yeah, the 99%, <laughs> 99% of the rest of the universe that's seen Game of Thrones and not me. Right, and and, and he's handsome and charming, and, yeah. uh, you know, I I... There was nobody in this movie who I thought was subpar in terms of acting. I, I thought that the acting was... The acting was great. Yeah, it was great. It, and, and even these little girls now who have grown up, they end up in the hands of this psychologist, I guess, mm. um, named Dreyfus. I guess he's in charge of their case or whatever. He tells Lucas and Annabelle that the older girl, Victoria, has managed to retain some language and and they really think that with just a little bit of help she'll be able to get everything back the other little girl lily was only one year old when she went out there so she has very little language yeah or social skills i mean i mean she is quite literally feral and Mm. and throughout really the most of the movie like she's capable of walking on two feet, but she seems to prefer when she's comfortable, she walks on all fours. Right. And she's capable of language, but she doesn't say very much. And I I just read this morning that this young actress didn't speak English. (laughs) (laughs) It it worked out well for her role. It it? did. It does. (laughs) It works out perfectly for the role. But it's it's good. It's effective. I, I I actually think that it works really well because 
as it turns out, we already know this, but the characters come to find out very slowly over the course of the film that they were raised by this ghost lady and the one-year-old, that's all she's ever known, ever. Mm -hmm. And so she clings to it far more fiercely than her sister does. And that that's ultimately important too. Well, the, yeah, and that's the contrast, you know, I was talking about that, that, like you said, is very important. And I also think it's a very poignant moment in there where Lucas is approaching her inside this facility. Now, also, I guess this is just a movie thing, right? But my mom used to work at a psychiatric facility. I don't remember them having a room that was dressed up like a bedroom with a two-way mirror right. so they could just throw kids in there and see how they're going right. to act. Like, well, like But anyway, they're in there, right? And they're ta- he's talking the doctor is talking about the differences between the two girls. And Lucas comes in and of course Lily is running away from him and also uh, Victoria seems hesitant. But mm-hmm. he gives her her glasses. He's got like another pair of her glasses yeah. and he puts them on her and she sees him for the first time and she goes, Daddy. And I just wanted to cry. <laughs> just, it broke my heart. It just <laughs> broke my heart. And he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not your dad. I'm your I'm I'm your Uncle Lucas, remember? And she just hugs him. And keep, but keeps saying daddy, Daddy. like, uh. and and she's old enough, right? To have the memory of her actual mother, to have the memory of her real dad. And this guy's his twin, you know, he looks just like him. And she's touching his face like, uh, you know, and these, these girls have not had any human contact through all of their formative years up to this point. Mm. And I just, uh, it just felt so natural like i I just believed you know when this girl walks up to this man and and recognizes him as as she probably would you know uh it's her dad's twin brother they're not played by the same actor they're not identical twins but brothers nonetheless and she just reaches out and strokes his face and it's almost like sense memory Mm -hmm. and it and it, it comforts her, and she embraces him. Oh, oh that's amazing. man. Well, mm-hmm. the Dr. Gerald, when the, I don't know, we see a court scene. I think it's like 90 days later. Your Honor, Victoria and Lily Desange were found in deplorable conditions, isolated, starved. They feared and distrusted all physical contact. Their emotional growth was clearly compromised by their abandonment. In order to survive such extreme isolation, the girls created an imaginary guardian, a parent figure to feed them, sing to them, protect them. They called her Mama. At the same time, and they're talking about custody of the girls in front of the judge, and there's this woman uh, who just kind of comes out of nowhere, and I didn't think this character was at all important to the story I no think she could she's totally ancillary completely mm-hmm. cut out she comes from nowhere you barely see her and then she does nothing really important in the whole movie but create this for a moment yeah. this bit of drama where it's the aunt it's the mom's the dead mom's sister who wants custody uh, I, I think actually it's the dead mother's aunt oh you think so, so? It would be the girls yeah i think so but she wants the girls and maybe she is the mom's sister i don't know i thought it was the mom's aunt but whatever it doesn't matter i understand why she would want them and and she argues in court that she would be more fit 
to keep them because Lucas just lives in a small apartment and he, he's an you artist. Know, he, so you know, he's poor. Right. <laughs> and his, and his girlfriend's just in a band and blah, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. And the, the psychologist Dreyfus is frankly corrupt. Like they don't really treat him as a villain, but they could have because he's, he's corrupt. He tells, Lucas and Annabelle, the truth of the matter is she probably would be better off with Gene, mm. but I want to study them. <laughs> uh-huh. I want to study them. It's like alien. <laughs> he was in aliens, by the way. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. He basically, what he says is it's, it's really up to me. Like whatever recommendation I make, the judge is going to go with. And he's like, I, I would lean towards her. However, I don't want them going across the country either. So if you will agree to live in this nice suburban home owned by the university for the purpose of case studies. Okay. <laughs> That's about as realistic as this. This university must have a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> if you'll agree to live that, live there and give me access to the girls, then I will recommend you for custody. And and Annabelle is is torn. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to go live in suburbia and be a soccer mom. Mm-hmm. But she knows it's important to Lucas, and so they agree to do it. Yeah. You know, at this point, I have to say, um, the movie is very stylized in the way it does color. Whenever Lucas is around, the girls, and, and just around, period you get this very warm, mm-hmm. yellow, sapia-toned uh, image image of the picture. Whenever Annabelle is around, starting from when we see her rehearsing in this little, you know, rehearsal room or whatever with a fluorescent light or whatever, no matter where she is, whether she's in the house, whether she's outside, it's green. It's like puke green, like ugly fluorescent lighting type thing. It's sort of like the teal and orange, except it's, it's like... Right gross green and orange. And I thought that was a really interesting um, motif that they had going through the movie. So even when they get to the house and Annabelle has her moments where she's alone with the girls, but she's not comfortable with them. You know, she's not sure what to do with them. She does what she can, but she's just kind of like, whatever, you know, she's got to go through the motions. It's like washing the dishes or doing the laundry. You're right. You know? Well, and, and, and I give, I, I give the character, I mean, I've already said Jessica Chastain, great actress. I give the character props because she really tries. Yeah. And like, and they, they really make a point of, Pretty much every time you see her in the house, she's doing something incredibly domestic. Yes. Like, she's <laughs> always doing laundry or doing the dishes or cleaning up. Like, always. And, and it's and, always that green wash over it, by the way. Always. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel heavy-handed. It, it kind of feels realistic. I mean, it that's does. what... Well, Especially since, you know, there, there's a scene where Dreyfus hypnotizes Victoria, which is, you know, it's just kind of uh, stuck in, but it is important. Mm-hmm. But she gives the exposition. She tells Mama's story. It was a long time ago. A lady ran away from a hospital for sad people. She took her baby. They jumped into the water. How could you know that story, Victoria? Did Mama tell you that story? She showed me. How? 
in a dream. They, they all move in together in the house. I mean, it's it's a beautiful house if you want to, you know, live in suburbia. And there's a lot that goes on, and we can come back to it. I, I was I was trying to get caught up, but but the the point is, eventually. Lucas is taken out of the picture. Yeah. Um, the, the girls get, the girls, you know, get back to the house. Then, you know, we see strange things, uh, start going on. Like the electricity is flickering. Lily is creeping around the house weirdly on all fours. Mm-hmm. Um, there are weird, like, mold or mildew spots on the walls that, like, these moths are coming out of and stuff. Um, and, uh, at one point, uh, Annabelle hears something in the night and she sends Lucas out to investigate it and he sees one of these spots on the wall and he sees a moth come out of it but then Mama busts out of it Bust and pushes out. him over yeah and pushes him over the banister on the second level and so he falls down the stairs I thought he was gonna a, die. and is unconscious <laughs> I, I kind of thought so too I almost feel like that would have been too mean. Yeah. It would have been a shocker. <laughs> well, and I think that logistically it wouldn't have made sense because if he had died, they would have taken the girls from her. Yeah, that's true. The girls would have gone to a relative. But he's not dead, um, but he is in a coma. And I, I just – I appreciate the reality of – the character, because Annabelle's like, well, she talks to the psychologist and she's like, well, what do we do now? And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, about the girls. And he's like, well, you have to keep them. If you don't keep them, then Gene will get them. And it, even when Lucas comes out of the coma, he'll never get them back. And she says, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. This isn't my job. Mm-hmm. And she's right. It's not. It's not her job. It's not her responsibility. But apparently she loves Lucas enough that she is willing to make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it certainly is a sacrifice. I mean, it would be a sacrifice to care for anybody else's children. It's, it's a sacrifice caring for your own children. Right. <laughs> Let me tell you. But these kids have issues. Um, but That's she true. has to take it on. And she does. And she tries. It is hard. And you can see the frustration yeah. in her. It is. It's it terribly frustrating. But she does it. I think it's important to point out. And this, you know, the movie could have gone this way. And I'm really glad that it didn't. It really stayed true to her character and her motivations. She's not trying to, like, bond with the girls. You know, not she's really. not Mm-mm. trying to have these moments where she's trying to get closer with them to make her life easier. She's really just trying to get things done and trying to keep keep them alive from one day to the next. Uh, and that's I, I appreciated that the movie didn't get sappy and weird like that, because, you know, of course, her character arc, it was set up from the beginning. She doesn't want to be a mom. She doesn't, you know, all this stuff. And of course, by the end of it, spoiler alert, you know, she suddenly has these motherly instincts that awaken in her or whatever, at least towards these girls. She feels a bond with them now. And it's a natural evolution. But it could have been so much sappier. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it absolutely was not. And so I really appreciated that about the movie. The characters seemed, they felt very real. Their motivations felt pretty mm-hmm. real. Except for the one-note aunt, you know, who pops in and out and just yeah. a douche the whole time. And the kind of evil doctor who... 
He wasn't that evil. He just He's ambitious. You know, like he's a I plot get device. It. He's a plot device to advance yeah. our understanding of what's going on. He hires this woman or it's I don't know, gets this woman who either works at the university or something like that, uh, to investigate the story that the girls tell about the woman who jumped. This woman comes in and basically says, Well, you know, I've investigated all the asylums and things like that and I haven't found anything. But there's this one that closed in like eighteen sixty eight that uh, there was this patient named Edith Brennan, and you should look at her story and her files. And so that's where we see. And, you know, this happens pretty early in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like you said, just the way that we, there's no question at the beginning that this is supernatural and that there's a ghost. We see the ghost full on pretty early. Pretty, I mean, with we're not even a third of the way through the movie, and this whole investigation bit is pretty much done for us. Like, there are just some mm-hmm. very minor d- details that we don't know. But uh, if you've ever seen a ghost story, <laughs> you know, you know what this is all about, right? It's this mm-hmm. ghost who was taking care of the girls, but she's restless spirit for some reason. And there's something that has to be done in order to set her soul at ease. And she's got her own motivations. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest with you, like just to jump the gun a little bit on why I thought this movie was just kind of eh, is it was just so formulaic like that. Yeah, that's true. And not only was it formulaic, but it showed its cards so early. So uh, by this point, a third of the way through the movie, everything had kind of been laid out. So I was just waiting for all the proper characters realize what needs to be done, and then they discover what that is and do it. Mm -hmm. And then that even happens kind of early, too. The doctor's on his own little path here. He's investigating this. He's talking to the girls. He's got the hypnosis thing, which I thought was a little contrived, but okay, Mm -hmm. whatever, to pull information out of the girls. Uh, And then this woman comes back to him at some point later and says, uh, you know, I've got something, I've got more information, something you need to see. And she brings him into this sort of... Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark style, like like government facility, where <laughs> I was expecting her to like pass right by the Do Not Open Ark <laughs> crate, right, right, Florida ceiling, just just rows upon rows <laughs> of like thirty feet high shelves, right. <laughs> and she pulls off and she says, "Do you believe in ghosts?" I can't say that I do. When a corpse is left out, the elements wither it, desiccate it, twisting it into a distorted figure that's barely recognizable as a human being. A ghost is an emotion bent out of shape, condemned to repeat itself time and time again until it rights the wrong that was done. The wrong. Which is a summary of basically every ghost story we've ever seen, and uh-huh. apparently a direct quote from two of Guillermo del Toro's previous movies. Um, or no, one of his previous movies, and then Crimson Peak, which comes later. So she pulls off the shelf. She says, these are small remains. This is the wrong. This is the wrong. Like the wrong that needs to be correct yeah and i was a little i was a little confused at what was going on at this point at this, yeah. at this point i was like oh the mother she jumped off with her baby and now her baby was lost these are the remains you got to get the remains back to the ghost i mean isn't that like 80 percent of yeah. the stories like they're looking for somebody else's remains <laughs> yes but well see but i thought 
I, and I don't know if I just missed something or if I misheard something or what. I thought it was Mama's ashes. Like, I thought that she needed to be laid to rest. And that that's not what it is at all. Um, so, and, and, and again, maybe I just missed something. I don't know. Um, but things move. <laughs> I was going to say they move pretty quickly. They they actually don't. No, they move a little bit slowly, slow. but we can talk about it quickly because <laughs> not a whole lot happens. Like, obviously, Annabelle is concerned, and, and and weird things are going on. Like, we see, again, no nothing secret, we see Mama playing with Lily. Oh, that's such a great uh, scene, too. I did really like that oh. scene. It's shot like down a hallway so that you can see into on the right side of the screen. You can see into the girl's bedroom, but the left side of the screen is the hallway that Annabelle is in. But so we can see both clearly, but Annabelle does, has no idea what's going on in the room. Um, and it's kind of like a will she, won't she see it mm-hmm. kind of oh, but, thing. But the of cool, course she doesn't. The cool thing about it is that Lily is playing with a blanket. It's like somebody else who you can't see because they're further into the room is pulling on the blanket. She's yanking it around. And you would just assume that it's Victoria. Right. Except at some point, as like you say, uh, Annabelle's walking down the hall and you think she's going to turn the corner, Victoria shows up. So you're like, holy shit. And then when you look over in the room, suddenly, can we see more of a shadow on the wall of the mother figure? Uh-huh. And you realize what's going on. And But they pull this trick too many times, honestly. Yeah. They pull this trick so many times that you can see it coming. Like at least three times in this movie is a situation where you think it's the two girls, but then you see Victoria and it turns out that it's Lily and Mama who you thought was Lily and Victoria. It happens a lot. <laughs> um, and, and and there are a lot, you know, a lot of times when like um, Annabelle hears weird things through the vents and like goes and surprises the girls playing and like they're obviously surprised and like they've been caught doing something but for whatever reason mama isn't visible Mm -hmm. like I, i i was paying closer attention this time um that time when she thinks that she hears well they sing the girls sing this they don't really sing they kind of hum um, this melody and at one point Annabelle hears them through the vents but she hears a voice singing with them that is not a child's voice it's a woman's voice and she walks to their room and she hears them playing and, and she opens the door and they look like they've been caught but mama's not there which I thought was really convenient but if you pay attention Lily is holding one end of that blanket mm. and the other end of the blanket is trailing into the closet mm-hmm. like, like pointing like Right, like she had, like Mama had just disappeared into the closet. Mm-hmm. But you're right; those types of things happen a lot. Until eventually, Mama just makes herself known all the time like... to everybody, <laughs> every chance she can get. And this is the thing that, with these ghost movies, always kind of troubles me a little bit, especially with an aggressive ghost as this ghost turns out to be, who's protected of these girls. Why not from the very get-go? Did she just sweep them back away? Uh-huh. Why is she dicking around in this house with them and appearing and playing and all this stuff? It, I mean, I'm trying to think, oh, well, was she holding back, thinking that, 
you know, all she really cares about is that these girls are are taken care of. And so is she sort of testing the caretakers? And once once sort of Annabelle proves herself that she can be a, a worthy mother to these kids, then she's going to retreat, you know, uh, that doesn't turn out to be the case. No. So I, I'm just really kind of left wondering why mom is just futzing around so much um, and why she, you know, what we get at the end of the movie didn't happen like much earlier. Right, right. Well, you know, I don't know. I can't explain it other than that this ghost has apparently been living in this cabin by herself since the late 1800s and now the only two... I. Frank, what it comes down to basically is that this ghost has adopted them. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, she, 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 they call her mama. She, she cared for them, and that's part of what makes the movie kind of tragic. Like, obviously, the mama spirit is dangerous and the villain of the story, but her story is tragic too. Yeah. And she got, you know, she she lost her own child. As it turns out, you know, the psychologist at first tells Annabelle that he thinks that um, Victoria has dissociative personality disorder and that she is mama. I don't know if he really believes that or not, but that's what he tells her. He does more research and ends up, and we actually end up seeing this. uh, I guess mama reveals it to Annabelle the same way that she had revealed it to Victoria through a dream. She had been in an institution mama had and she i guess had a baby and she stole her baby killed a nurse or something and ran and then was yeah and then was pursued by men um and and chased to the edge of this cliff and i guess that what she decided was that she would rather die with her baby than go back and have to give her baby up or whatever so she jumped off this cliff what we see is from her perspective she jumps and she has her baby but right before she crashes into the water she looks at her arms and her baby is gone and 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 that seems like that is why she is a wandering spirit like she doesn't know what happened to her baby and victoria tells annabelle at some point you know she she wandered all around the woods looking for her baby but she never found it and i guess you know just being this lost wandering spirit then these two girls showed up and they kind of took the place of her baby um we find out that as she had been falling from this cliff there had been a branch like protruding out of it and the the swaddling the baby swaddling had got caught in it and um had had been suspended there and that's why um she lost her yeah i have to say another thing that kind of bothered me about the movie from a logical perspective was that too much of the information is revealed to the characters through these visions, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They have a dream, they have a vision, and now they know what they have to do. It's it's just, it's a convenient plot device, and it's very typical of these kinds of stories. But in this case, there wasn't really a motivation for it, because normally the ghost is revealing things to the characters and visions so that they can get the characters to fulfill their their need mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. in this case the ghost is just completely antagonistic towards these people and she's she's going to try to to kill them both later yeah it's a little muddled right like why is she revealing this stuff to annabelle because victoria is scared 
she is afraid that Mama's going to get jealous and hurt Annabelle. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she even, she rejects affection from Annabelle because she's like, no, you can't do that. It's going to make her jealous and I'm, and she's going to hurt you. Um, and, and at this point, I, I did like at this point that Lily continues to embrace Mama. Yes. But that Annabelle is clearly trying to pull away Mm -hmm. and at one point um lily wakes up in the night i think mama's like beckoning her or something and all she ever says really in the whole movie is uh victoria come mama yeah um and at one point she goes to go out the window to follow mama and she says that and victoria says victoria stay and she's crying and i i do think it's hard for her and i really actually like Mm -hmm that element of the story it is hard for her you know she I, I think that she wants to embrace this more normal life because she kind of remembers a normal mm-hmm. life and 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 i i think that she really recognizes that annabelle cares for them and is taking care of them and, and she wants to embrace that relationship but it's hard for her to let the other one go, mm-hmm. especially since her little sister is still embracing that. And that's really basically what it comes down to. At some point, Lucas has a vision of his brother who says, save my girls, go to the cabin, whatever. And then he wakes up from his coma. The stupid Aunt Jean visits and like threatens to challenge them for custody because Lily has bruises on her face or something. And mm-hmm. Annabelle's like, yeah, they're kids. They get bruises, yeah. which is totally true. <laughs> and eventually Mama completely reveals herself to Annabelle and there's a little bit of a confrontation. Meanwhile, Aunt Jean has come over. I'm not really sure why. I'm not sure no. if she's like sleuthing. Why is she or... if she's breaking into the house somehow? Like, what the hell? It's the middle of the night. Yeah. It's I didn't get I that. have no idea what she's doing. It's because the plot required it. The plot required it. And that's you said that she's pointless. She is pointless. Except for the girls needed a ride <laughs> <laughs> to the cabin. So so Aunt Jean showed up so that so that Mama could possess her. For long enough to drive them, apparently, out to the cabin. And the uh, possessed gene was very frightening. I feel like this is as good a time as any to say that um, Mama is played by a man, Javier Botet. And uh, apparently, this guy has some sort of disorder that makes him very, very thin, and uh, he has really long limbs and really long fingers. So he has, I mean, if you look at his IMDb picture, he looks like a handsome yeah. guy, but um, apparently he has, you know, kind of a curious physique. Yeah, and he's able to do this, and, and he's played these types of roles before. He was in the It remake, too. He was the leper, um, and, and he's also played a, a ghostly woman in some other movie. So this is kind of his thing. And he does it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really good. He's very creepy. He can move in really unnatural ways. Again, I don't know how much of that is CGI. But anyway, they all end up at the cabin. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really kind of silly that they all end up there at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And, and Mama 
has the girls out on the cliff and Lucas and Annabelle run to the cliff and Mama is able to somehow subdue them. Like, I feel like she reaches into Lucas's chest and it's almost like she's squeezing his heart or something. He falls to the ground and I didn't know if he was supposed to be dying or what was mm-hmm. going on. Um, but uh, she also touches Annabelle and Annabelle falls to the ground and the girls start walking hand in hand with Mama to the cliff and Victoria keeps turning back to Annabelle and saying, Annabelle, sleep, because Mama keeps trying to put her to sleep. But Annabelle won't. Like, she won't give up. And she keeps waking up and she keeps crawling towards them until eventually they're near the edge of the cliff. But Victoria stops because Annabelle is clinging to her robe. Mm-hmm. And I think that what was going on here was that Victoria was going to go with Mama because that would be what was best for everybody. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to see Lucas and Annabelle get hurt, so she was just going to go. But Annabelle's persistence, Mm -hmm. I think, convinced her, this woman loves me and I want to stay with her. Yeah. And so she stay so she does. She lets go. You know, and again, the ghost is the villain, but I feel bad for yeah. her. Like well, it's sad. I mean, that's kind of an interesting twist that happens there where they are on the peak of the mountain and she is leading the girls away and they present her with the remains of her child. Right. And she turns around and it seems like everything's going to wrap up. But because Lily calls out to her mama, she turns around and kind of realizes, look, I can have this this bag of bones or I can have this other girl, you know. Right. And she tosses the bones away. Like she just hurls them away. You know, it's very um, complex, I think. I I really like the, um, the human emotional aspect of this story just everything you described everything we've talked about about the relationship between children and their mothers and the mother you know the sort of motherly instinct or whatever or how you can bond with people over time like all of that was really um convincing and nice Uh, i felt like the ghost story aspect of it was pretty pedestrian (laughs) you know it wasn't stupid it was just very paint by numbers and predictable and Quite frankly, there were a lot of things I didn't understand, a lot of plot holes, and I just, I was just kind of waiting for that to wrap up. I think the movie could have been shorter because of it. Yeah. But what 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 she ends up doing, I think, right, is she she ends up taking Lily, and and now I was I was a little surprised. I um, was, and it's sad, but it almost like they make it seem so perfect, right? <laughs> yeah. The way, well, God, I, I mean, you're just torn because. You know, uh, Victoria has to say goodbye to her sister. And Annabelle and Lucas, you know, they don't have as close a bond with Lily. But there was actually a really, really powerful scene. Lily never bonded with anybody. And she never lost her um, kind of feral nature. She wouldn't sleep in a bed. You know, she, she wouldn't sit in chairs. She only ate with her hands. Like... That never went away, but there was a there was a moment when um, she had snuck outside to try to be with Mama, but she hadn't found Mama, and she had slept outside in the cold. And Annabelle had gone out and, and 
picked her up and brought her in and this poor little girl is freezing and she screams no and tries like an animal to scamper away but annabelle just holds her and and i mean it it, gosh this scene had to have been hard to direct and hard to act because this little girl was fighting to get away and and Jessica Chastain just had to hold her and wrap her arms and legs yeah. around her and restrain her which is i i've had to do that you know i i've i've worked in special education with young kids and i've had to restrain kids and it's it's not easy and it's it's emotional because you're scared to death you don't want to hurt them but you know that you're you're doing it for their safety that's what Annabelle does with this girl and when she when she finally holds her there forcibly and and is trying to comfort her from it's it's like Lily finally for a moment realizes this woman doesn't want to hurt me yeah. this woman cares about mm-hmm. me and you see it in her eyes mm-hmm. this little girl Oh man, I was so impressed at that performance. You see that moment where she realizes this woman's trying to help me. You know, uh, and I thought that would be a turning point, but it turned out it just wasn't enough, right? But that it just wasn't but enough. But that scene completely foreshadows what we see later on the cliff, right? It, it took yeah, it took uh-huh. the, what proves it to the kids is the determination and the care that the adult is showing them. But the reality is for this 1-year-old, you know, for this kid who was 1-year-old when she was taken away, this is the only mother she's ever known is this ghost. Right. That's the difference between these two kids. So it's very fitting, really, when you think about it, that this girl is going to be happiest with her ghost mother, wherever ghost mother is going to take her. Right. And where ghost mother takes her is right off the edge of the cliff. Mm-hmm. And that surprised me a bit, but they have this super stylized, rather touching scene yeah. where the mom sort of supernaturally wraps her up in this cloak as she dives off the cliff and time just sort of slows down and we get a look inside of this little wrapping that they're in as they're slowly descending and Lily couldn't be happier. She just, no, she's, she's yeah. got her hands she's at peace all mm-hmm. over mom's face. She's at peace. And the, the ghost mom is, is happy. Everything is fine. And they hit that branch on their way down and they burst out into a bunch of moths. <laughs> yep. And, and then of course, you know, as the other three are embracing on the ledge, the one of the moss flutters over and lands on Victoria's arm. And uh, Vic, Victoria just says, Lily, and that moth sort of flits away. So, And that's the end. And I thought that it was like, I thought it was a sad ending. Like I said, the whole movie is tragic in a lot of ways. And the ending is, is hmm. sad. I, it's, it is. I think it's satisfying, but it's sad. I was also left wondering what happens next. Right? Like, <laughs> like how are they how do explain, they explain this shit this? to everybody? <laughs> uh huh. Where where did uh, Lily go? Mm-hmm. You know, why is Aunt Jean dead? <laughs> you know, like I uh, I I just saw this morning that um, Mama Two is slated it was supposed to film i think in 2020 but of course then the world went to hell and and oh really what happened in 2020 craig (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, it, it's postponed apparently indefinitely. Um, but Jessica Chastain was set to reprise her role, but like, I'm like, why? <laughs> They're like, in prison. What's gonna happen? They start out in prison yeah, because like, this girl's disappeared. <laughs> is Mama gonna come back? Like, I, I don't, that, that's stupid. Like, it, that's actually one of the things that I liked about this movie was that it didn't just tie everything up with a nice pretty bow. Like, things, things weren't perfect the the sisters were separated the foster parents or whatever lost the girl they didn't win mm. and nobody really won but i i almost feel like that's fitting it's maybe in a ghost story you know more realistic whatever but uh it, there's something satisfying about things not turning out perfectly yeah that's true uh, you know ultimately I think it's a, a, a good movie. You're right. I mean, it's a pretty typical ghost story. But the performances were strong enough that I was invested in these characters. It's, uh, gosh. Now, the little girls, I thought, were fantastic. Jessica Chastain, I, you know, I say this a lot, but it happens a lot. She had to carry this movie on her back. This movie was about her. It really was. I mean, all the male characters really in this movie are, are sidelined. Mm-hmm. Or they're kind of one, like the doctor, you know? Um, the doctor's assistant mm-hmm. has more humanity than the doctor does. Yep. You know, and she's a woman. So I think that's kind of fitting maybe for the theme of the film. By the way, do you think that Annabelle wears the same Misfits shirt every day? Or does she have like a whole bunch of them in her <laughs> closet? She just changes them out? <laughs> I don't think she she probably wears the same one every day. She's that rock and roll. I, I think that was her costume for the entire movie. I do not remember her wearing anything else. Even to court, I think she had that Misfits shirt on. The whole moss thing, I don't really get, but the moving through the walls was kind of cool. And, you know, it projected when she was going to appear or when she was nearby. I, my favorite one was when she... It actually looked really, really cool at one point when she sunk through the floor, uh, and and for a moment she was. It was like she was in water, but just her eyes and the top of her head were above the floor, kind of looking at Annabelle. And then <laughs> Aunt Jean just saw her hair moving, like <laughs> like just her hair was above the floor, like moving around the floor and coming at mm-hmm. her. Overall, the effects were good. You know, again, we're we're running long. I'm trying to recap, but I can't really think of much negative to say. I'm not a huge fan of CGI. Um, I think that it definitely has its place, and you can do really cool things with it. But for me, for it to be effective, it has to look really good. And in this movie, I thought it looked good. I didn't think it looked really good. So um, that, you know, I didn't absolutely love. But beyond that, I thought it was a good movie. I cared about the characters. You're absolutely right with the cinematography. They did have different motifs, you know, with with color and um, other visual cues that I thought were really... I, I think that uh, Andy, Andy Muschietti is a fine yes, director. He's quite good. Um, and uh, yeah, quite good. And I think that we'll be seeing a lot more from him. 
He did, just to remind everyone, he did It, uh, the new remakes of It as well. And I guess he's got The Flash in post-production. And... Yeah, so so overall, I think this is a good movie. I recommend it. Uh, it's it's spooky. It's atmospheric. It's, it's, it's yeah, pretty scary uh, it in parts. And uh, the acting is, is good. The characterization is good. I liked it, and I didn't mind watching it uh, a couple times in the last couple weeks. So, yeah, yep. check it out. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. Uh, if you enjoyed it a lot, maybe you consider um, being a patron of this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash chainsaw podcast and check out our reward tiers, get access to an exclusive 90-minute interview with us, um, the ability to help us choose movies that we will do in the future, as well as a forum that we've set up for uh, private internal communication between us uh, and our patrons, and of course, access to our complete unedited episodes if that's something that's interesting to you. Also, we produce a couple mini-sodes every month and you'll be able to access those as well if you're a patron. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter as well as uh, our own webpage, twoguys.red40.com. Leave us a message any one of those places and let us know what you thought of this episode and what movies you'd like us to cover in the future. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. Ah.